Hey there, this is Larry, and I'm here with Armin. You're about to listen to a great episode. But before you do, we want to let you know that we're now podcasting over at the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right, and we're not adding any new episodes to Reinventure Me, but we think you're really going to like what we're doing on the Bold Idea Podcast. We're interviewing some great guests and packing ideas and inspiration to help you put your faith to work to bring your idea to life. So when you're done with this episode, go check it out at boldideapodcast.com. Episode number two of the Reinventure Me podcast. Is your job driving you nuts? Is it time to give your job a shove? Well, we'll be talking about that thing called discontentment on today's Reinventure Me podcast. Find your next great beginning. This is the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Reinventure Me, the podcast where we discuss what's next in life. And, uh, well, this is our next podcast, right, Armin? That's right. I'm glad to be back. We survived and made it all the way to number two. <laughs> yeah, number two in terms of a podcast episode, not <laughs> necessarily right. number two on iTunes, though, right? <laughs> we'll make it. We'll make it. You there. might still have a hard time finding us on iTunes. The best way to get to us right now is through our website, reinventure.me. But with our uh, launch last week, we just had such great feedback, and it was just encouraging to get notes from friends and people we don't even know that right. had listened to the show, and yeah. uh, it's it's a lot of fun to see, and and uh, we, we actually got two ratings in iTunes. That's right. <laughs> so big shout out and thank you to Marcy Schulz and Robin Aldana for taking time to rate our show. That was awesome. Way to go, ladies. That's right. I'm uh, glad you were able to take the time to do that. And Gentlemen, where are you guys at? <laughs> Why is it only ladies? <laughs> maybe they maybe they don't uh, uh, don't have any challenges with uh, their job. That's true. Kind of have a hard time believing that. That's true. <laughs> so Larry. Yes, sir. Since last week, I was doing a little bit of digging, mm. and I found something really, really interesting. What did you find? I, I mean, this was kind of confetti in my soul moment. <laughs> confetti in your soul? That's okay. right. It was uh, very pleasing to my soul. So, oh. so let me ask you a question. All right. Between my generation and your generation, who do you think is most likely to actually achieve their New Year resolution goals? Well... You know, if I didn't already know the answer to this, and I think I know how you're trying to bait me for it, <laughs> I'd say we are. But I think, uh, uh, you know, I just uh, did a blog post on on why oh, us right. old guys. Oh, I shared it with you. That's right. <laughs> well, for all the yeah, world. I trumped, I trumped your little secret <laughs> weapon there, didn't I? That's <laughs> right, so you did. Well, I'm going to throw the stats out there just so my, uh, my generation has something to celebrate. <laughs> so it looks like only 14% of people over the age of 50 years old. That would achieved, be me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> achieve their New Year's goal. But 39%, more than double that number yeah, of the yeah. uh, 50 plusers. Uh, so people over 20 years old achieve their goals. So... So do you think they're choosing smaller goals, or uh, are they better at it? 
Um, <laughs> maybe we're more determined. Yeah, that could be. That we're could not burnt well out be. yet because we haven't lived an additional thirty years. Yeah, my my uh, my blog post on this actually, if you if you read it, was that as we get older, I just wondered if maybe um, we've lost the ability to really think about new things and learn new things. When you're huh. when you're in uh, up until your twenties, you've every year you've gone to school, you've learned something, you know what's expected next, and then you get into this big wide world of a job or whatever after you graduate. And it and it's not structured learning; it's self learning. And I think maybe over time we get too comfortable as we develop expertise that we're not stretching ourselves to new learning. But uh, hey, I'm taking a statistic and trying to extrapolate uh, uh, something that might be coming from it. And who knows whether I'm right or not? But I, was, <laughs> I was just it was a challenge for me when I when when you shared that with me, and I'm not sure that we we had talked about that. So I know you were trying to grab me by it, but that's right. All I cared about is that we're winning. So <laughs> my generation is one up. Again. Well, I'm glad because every generation <laughs> that can improve upon ours is a good one. You know, that's right. That's right. So what are we here to talk about today, Larry? Well, well today is, is really something that I've wrestled with a lot of my, in my life. And that's the sense of discontentment. And I think when, um, maybe you, if you have the kind of personality that I have, which is to have a lot of drive and, to see a lot of different things that you want to do, it's easy to get discontent about where you're at and to get unsettled by it. And I have had to learn a lot about that. Yeah. Have, have you, uh, have you, nope, had, have you uh, in the younger generation had much experience? <laughs> I, 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 I think somebody defined us as the generation of discontentment. So uh, I, I think we live within discontentments. I mean, if you think, if you look at some of the research that's even done out there, we, we, uh, we are the generation that's most likely to leave a job within two years. Oh, yeah. Mm. Or less. Yeah. I mean, so we, we are the generation of discontentment. Yeah, well, that could tie into your other bit of research there, too, because uh, maybe us, you know, as we get older, maybe we're, we're less likely to leave because we don't want to take the risk. We don't want to have to learn something new. And, of course, that's what uh, this podcast is all about, is to help understand those issues and take the appropriate big steps. Well, you know, back before you were born, um, just to poke a little bit of fun back at you, back in 1977, <laughs> before you were even thought about, uh, Johnny Paycheck hit it big with a song uh, titled, Take This Job and Shove It. Have you heard that song? I haven't, but I'm about you to You haven't to heard that song? Okay. <laughs> I've never heard well, of Johnny uh, Paycheck. <laughs> yeah, I think you will just love it, and I think on your um, on your iPod you should put it on a, a, a repeat playback just so you can, <laughs> can really get a the sense of it. anthem for my generation. <laughs> but it became an instant hit, and a lot of uh, a lot of people could really identify with the words and, and the time of uh, frustration that you feel sometimes when you just had it with your job. Have you had one of those seasons? Oh, man, I've had plenty of those seasons and uh i think it started back when i was 16 when i took my first job and then every year and every job after that so i think i've lived in that discontentment constantly because i always wanted more bigger paycheck better title more power more something and it was never enough it was that never enough mentality yeah you know and that's uh that that's a sign of obviously that's discontent and that's a sign of of two kinds of discontent well, there's unhealthy discontent which is driven by the wanting more. And then there's a healthy form of discontent. We're going to talk about both of those today. Well, let's do that. I actually, can you tell me more a little bit, uh, a little bit more about what you, how you would describe as unhealthy discontentment? Well, unhealthy discontentment's all about uh, really answering the question, how can I get more of something? You know, like you said, <laughs> I want more pay. I'd <laughs> yeah. like more vacation. I'd like uh, uh, maybe a bigger house, a uh, better wife, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> Definitely uh, not better wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think any, you, you or I could improve upon our wives, so that's never been a longing for me. But 
you know, uh, the, it, it's defined, unhealthy discontent is defined by the desire for more. Hmm. And uh, um, the sure sign as to whether you have unhealthy discontent is whether you have envy. Hmm. You know, when you see yourself admiring what somebody else has, and, and it isn't that you're admiring it because they have it, it's you're admiring it because you want it for hmm. yourself, and then you somehow despise them, you know. Um, huh. St. Thomas Aquinas had a great saying. He said, envy is sorrow at another's good. Ooh. So we look at somebody else and we see that they're, they're doing well, and you know you have envy is if you want them to do poorly, you know, and you see that a lot, I think, in today's All the world. time. You know, actually, okay, so one of my all-time most amazing mentors that I have by the name of Art Erickson, this guy is a freak of nature when it comes to wisdom. And one of the things uh, he talked about at one of the leadership lessons that we brought him into to lead on the discussion of leadership, he talked about the difference between envy and jealousy. And he said, um, but I think he used the word coveting. He said, uh, envy is wanting what somebody else has. And that's a kind of okay. But then he says on the other side of it is jealousy. And he says, this is a tidbit evil. He says, jealousy is not wanting some somebody to have what they have, but yeah. you don't even want it. Yeah, you yeah. just don't want yeah, them to have it. Yeah, you just don't want them to have it. Yeah, and that's always stuck with me. You know, and, and one of the hardest verses, I think, in the Bible is the one that says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Because mm. sometimes it's really hard to rejoice with a neighbor when they drive up with their new car. Yeah. You know, it's just <laughs> like, I don't know if I can really enjoy the fact that you have a new car and mine's getting kind of old right that's now. Right. You know? I ha- I really struggled with this kind of, discontentment in um in my early years in our marriage and we were living in a townhouse and my wife Anna would love to go out and do what they have up here in Minnesota I guess they probably have this across the country a parade of homes you know where oh. the homeowners put out their big homes and they they not homeowners the home builders put out their big homes and they yeah. show the world what they're capable of doing which is you know just basically a showcase and so everybody runs around and they take a look at these homes before the beautiful people occupy them, you know? <laughs> and uh, my wife would take me out to these. And after a while, I said, I, I just can't go uh, to these anymore. You know, because we'd always go to the, who would live in the $6 million home? You know, right. what, you know, the indoor outdoor pool and the, the, the bathroom that sprays water from six different places, <laughs> you know, all that, all that kind of crazy stuff. And uh, my wife would just love to go see the creativity and the craftsmanship right. that are put in these homes. Yeah, well, so every, I. You know, every time I walked into one, though, I felt it was an indictment about me. Why? Well, I just felt like uh, I, I want that. You know, I want to be able uh, to tell people that I'm that successful. I can live in a home like that. It's not like you have to go about bragging that you're successful. You just say, hey, come on over for dinner, you know? <laughs> and and as soon see. as they see what the outside of the house looks like, they go, oh, enough said. You don't need to say anymore, you know? Kind of welcome to our home. Wow. And I talked to Anna about that one night, and she said, you know, Larry said, um, that, that kind of home is great except I wouldn't want to live there. I said, why not? Because I really would, you know? <laughs> and she said, because it would make people feel uncomfortable uh, being there. Oh, wow. And that was helpful for me. That was that was a helpful perspective to get me out of what I wanted people to think about me hmm. instead thinking more about how other people would feel. It's back to that envy thing. You know, right. if I do something that causes somebody to envy, is that, you know, of course it's their issue and they have to deal with it. But I think there was a certain wisdom that she had in just remaining sensitive to it. And and frankly, she's not the type of woman that needs it to show anything. And right. <laughs> unfortunately, I was the kind of guy that did. So um, I think so, I'm in the same boat as you. My wife could care less. And 
<laughs> I'm I'm hoping for the biggest and best. <laughs> you know, I go into these houses though, and I'd see some amazing homes. You know, yeah. And I'd sit there, I'd think like Woody Allen, you know, my one regret in life is that I'm not someone else. <laughs> you know, there's times that's where you go out. Awesome uh, I love that. <laughs> so anyway. So what's on the flip side of well, that? Well, on so- the flip side of that is is the kind of discontentment that actually is a signal. It's a signal for a change. It's you're discontent not because you want more, but you want something different. So this is what you would define as the healthy discontent? This is healthy discontent. Okay. And uh, and healthy discontent is is like you've grown enough. It's 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 like you're a a plant hmm. in a pot, and you become pot bound. You know your rhizomes have reached the edge of the pot, and there's no place else to go. And 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 life needs to grow, and people need to grow, and it's hard to keep people in a challenging in a job that doesn't challenge them because right. they want to be challenged. Right. You know, if you're the kind of person like I'm sure. You know, you are, if you're listening to this podcast, you're wanting to grow. You're wanting to become a richer, deeper, and expressing the gifts of God more fully in your life. Right. And so there's that uh, that kind of discontentment that when you know, you know, things just aren't as they should be. I have less energy for what I want to do or what I'm doing. Uh, my passion just isn't in anymore. And it isn't that the job has changed. It's that you have changed hmm. and you've grown. And so that kind of discontentment is a sign that uh, you, you've outgrown your job, and it's perhaps a sign that you that you need to change. I remember I, I actually had that in my last job. I just, I just remember I would show up every day, and I would just feel like I'm constantly bandaging the same problem over mm-hmm. and over again, and I just felt so under-challenged where mm-hmm. I would just show up. I, I guess the best word I could use is I just felt complacent all the time and i just felt like i was slowly dying because i wasn't growing i wasn't developing i wasn't being challenged it was just felt like a slow death and i constantly questioned myself because i've done the whole changing environment thing and you know i've I've Mm -hmm. been on the unhealthy side for the majority of my life so i started questioning myself you know am i being unhealthy again is it discontent internal discontentment and then for the first time i I really figured out, wow, this is external. This is the environment. I mean, I'm just not growing. I'm not being challenged. I'm not being developed. Yeah, and sometimes I think people don't want to make a change because they feel like if they make the change, that it will just be another signal that they're never going to be content. Right. As opposed to seeing it as a misfit and they have to find the right fit, you know. So staying in a job where it's not a good fit for you can cause you to lose vitality. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And change is just scary anyways. So most of us prefer security over change. So yeah, <laughs> we stay in something we don't even like. Well, regardless of what kind of discontentment you have, there's some strategies that we can take uh, to, to overcome them. So you mentioned earlier that you had some issues uh, with respect to uh, your unhealthy discontent, always wanting more and more. What are some of the things that you've tried that, uh, that, that were helpful to you? I'm glad you... Okay, so... The one big lesson I've learned was exactly what I was just talking about, which was just I, I I recognized one of the unhealthy pieces of my discontentment was the fact that I I always wanted to change my environment because I always thought my discontentment came from my environment. And then as the older I got, I started asking a different question. Mm. And uh, the question was, do I need to change myself rather than my environment? Oh, that's good. You know, because a lot of times I just had a bad attitude, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm young, I'm entitled. I feel Mm -hmm. like I've been here for 14 minutes. I deserve a promotion or whatever, you know, so. (laughs) Well, uh, that's true with your age group, right? 
gosh, absolutely. We showed up to work. We deserve I, a raise. I think it's true for every age group, you know. <laughs> but what about you? I know you have a lot more insight to this than I do. What are some of the lessons you've learned through this process? Well, I, I certainly agree with your your comment there. There was a time when I was uh, at a corporate job, and I, I was the new technical services manager and, at Cray. Uh, right? At Cray. Okay. And uh, I remember that I wanted to kind of show myself to be, you know, worthy of that position, get noticed a little bit. And I don't remember exactly what was going on, but I do remember feeling like I wasn't getting the attention that I would have liked or deserved, you know, and that's of course the, one of the signs of discontentment, you know, but I, I do, um, I do remember that there was a, a real shift at one point in time when I, and I don't remember exactly how I came to this, but I decided that my job there was to make my boss successful, huh. not to make me successful. So I moved from a serving self-service mindset to an other service mindset, which is my question now became, and I went in and saying, okay, what can make her more effective in managing the entire department and, and how can I help her achieve that rather than how can I get noticed? How can I do something? So it just it was an other centered mindset. And then you know, I didn't make that switch overnight. You know, that's one of those things you have to think about all the time, but it's so hard to think about how you change yourself. You can always think about changing other people or other things before you think about changing yourself. Yeah, it's easier said than done. I'd oh, rather talk yeah. about it than do it. Yeah. I love what Leo <laughs> Tolstoy said. He said, everyone wants to change the world. And no one wants to change themselves. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I don't like truth sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the other things that I've done was uh, is is just ask the question to myself: uh, Why is this so important to me? When I went into the Parade of Homes, you know, I was like, I had to come back and say, Why am I having a trouble here? You know. So it does take some self reflection to ask that. Why is that so important to me? And I had to realize that. People would think I'm more successful. I had to kind of get a hold of that. It's not the right way to think about it. And you, you know? probably realize you don't really care that much about that anyway. Yeah, uh, that's right. I didn't. That's, I didn't. And then I, I don't think it really made a difference for me until I practiced one particular discipline. And this is perhaps the hardest one to do, which is to practice gratitude. Wow. You know, even in the midst of what I would say and a, a desire for accumulating more, uh, you know, that basically is ingratitude hmm. being expressed. You know, envy, desire for more, constant persistent desire for more is just envy being expressed and, and, and it's ingratitude. And I, I realized that um, that's a discipline that Anna does really, really well. I don't think if I were married to anybody else, perhaps I would have learned the art of gratitude as much as, as she does. And as I started just kind of being thankful for what I had rather than what I don't thinking, focusing on what I don't have, it really settled me, you know, and it made me able to see things that I had that I didn't realize I had, you know, all the resources that were already in front of me and it opened my eyes to, to that. And, you know, I think gratitude sharpens our vision for what we've already been given. And in many ways it's an expression of faith. It's a way of saying that, we are certain that God desires the fullest expression of our gifts. And so when we're, we practice gratitude like that, there's a conviction, a certainty that God is doing something with us. I love that. It, so that was perhaps the most helpful thing for me to practice, you know, in those times. And, you know, it's easy to say, you know, have an attitude of gratitude, but it really is a discipline that's hard to put on. You know, I, I remember, um, well, I was in full-time ministry. I did this uh, study on the Apostle Paul, and I, and there was a theologian that kind of wrote about 
what they learned about the Apostle Paul, and they said there is one thing that's always been consistent about the Apostle Paul, if you read about him in the Bible, is that um, gratitude preceded great miracles with the Apostle mm. Paul, that before every great miracle, that Paul, the Apostle Paul would always give thanks to God before he asked for anything or prayed over anyone. He mm. always gave thanks, and it was that gratitude that preceded that great miracle wow, every you, time. you learned it here on Reinvent Your Me. If you're not feeling the miracles in your life, start with <laughs> gratitude. I, think I love it. I love it. That's right. So we've already talked about how to deal with the unhealthy discontent, um, but now we have the flip side of that, which is the healthy discontent. Mm. So what are some strategies around that? Well, I think the first thing that you should recognize when you've got this healthy discontent, this idea that maybe you've outgrown your current present situation, I think the first thing you can do is just name it. I mean, that's that's probably one of the healthiest first starts that you can recognize is that there isn't something wrong with you. It isn't that you are um, a, a misfit. It's that the job or the situation that you're in isn't uh, isn't giving you what you need in order to grow you further. So, what, what do you mean by that? Though, when you said name it, what am I naming? Well, what you're what you're naming is you're you're saying you, you you're calling it what it is, and that is you're saying you're you're ready for a new chapter. I mean, really, you need to say you're in a period of transition, in that you identify it as such, okay. that you don't just say, I'm looking for a new job because you're just trying to replace it, but that you're out, you're looking for a new uh, opportunity, I don't know what you want to call it, but you are in a new chapter, perhaps, and, th- and that is something that's really, really important, because we have to identify the things that are out of place in our lives, mm. and one of the easiest, I think, most helpful ways to do that is just the practice of journaling. Oh man, journaling is not fun for me. No, no, and and for many years I've resisted. In fact, it's only been in the last uh, two or three years that I've taken up journaling and I do it every day. Wow. And I wish I'd known uh, about uh, this approach to journaling that I am now doing, uh, which we won't go into here today, but you can uh, read a blog post on my website, LarryGates.com. If you want to find that in the search bar, just type in why I gave journaling another try. But it's an approach that I use for journaling, which really helped uh, ignite a habit for me that has been so instructive. And Mm. when you go through these kind of transitions, especially when you feel discontent, you often don't know what it is that you're dealing with. You just know something's out of alignment. So taking the time to think slowly and write it down on paper is probably the first thing you can do. You know, another thing that we can do and really should do is is acclimate. I mean, so once we've kind of named that we're in this period of transition, we need to kind of get used to the fact that we're going to be there for a while. Hmm. I think one of the things that happens when you get discontent is that you feel like you need to make a change right away. Things are going to drive you nuts if you don't act on it right away. There's something broken. There's something wrong with me. And then we end up getting ourselves from the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> uh, and, you know, if you, if you look at how... Um, Climbers climb a mountain. They don't go right to the summit. They have to, you know, set up base camp, get acclimated to the altitude, and then they're successful, successfully able to make the climb. And that's that's true when uh, we move into a new uh, adventure. It could be a whole new career change. It might just be a new opportunity. But in any case, it's going to stretch. You're moving because you need to grow. Hmm. And sometimes you need that time just to acclimate and get used to the idea of that transition. So I know a lot of our listeners are probably, if they're in the midst of transition, just have a lot of anxiety about it because you want to get into that next phase. But this is absolutely the best time for learning is in to spend time in that acclimation process. That's so true. It's like getting into cold water. 
Yeah. Kind of get your toes in at first. Yeah. Slowly jump in. Well, one of the, one of the challenges that happen when you start to move in any time of transition is that it has an effect on your identity, what you think about yourself. Hmm. You know, so if you're, uh, if you've got a certain job, like you're a chief financial officer and you decide you're going to, you want to try something different, it's kind of hard to think about yourself as a finance person, uh, anything other than a finance person, or suppose you're an attorney or whatever it right. might be, and maybe it's, it, it isn't even one of those professions, you know. Right. Um, in any case, you have this identity that you put on yourself. And anytime we embrace change or think about changing, it threatens our identity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was my biggest struggle, too, was going out of full-time ministry and going into business. So does that mean I'm no longer a spiritual person? Yeah. Has my... Has my identity of being a spiritual person been lost on me well there's a lot of people who move from ministry into business and then feel like somehow they're not doing god's work oh yeah that's exactly how i felt yeah and and so then they feel like they're you know kind of second rate or that you also hear people going the other way that the only kind of work they should consider is you know going into into ministry as well and so it's a it's a tough thing getting a hold of this identity shift. I, I I read a book by D. Hawk, and he was the founder of Visa, and he said this: change is the thief of identity, and we can never be sure of our place or value in a new order of things. Oh, wow. And I think he hit it straight on because w- we don't normally think about how important identity is for us just to feel grounded, hmm. and uh, and and it and it often is one of the reasons why so many people are so deeply discouraged whenever they lose their job because their job is tied to their a job is tied to their identity and they only think of themselves as having a singular identity yeah and uh and and uh gail Sheehy, the the woman that wrote uh, new passages the new york times bestseller a number of years ago uh she talked about the need to manage multiple identities you know that you got to think about yourself having multiple capabilities as a person mm. so that when one of them needs to change or is threatened because of perhaps you get laid off or or fired or what have you that it doesn't wipe out your whole kind of portfolio of how you think about yourself yeah and uh, she said that the, the research has shown that those who think about themselves as wearing kind of multiple identities, vocational hats, if you will, are actually healthier people. Wow. Physically. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It was actually, today I had a conversation with one of my friends, and he was talking about introducing me to someone. And I asked the question, well, who is he? And he gave me the most interesting response. And all he started doing was describing his role at his business. Mm-hmm. So he just chief whatever, mm-hmm. and he just started describing his job. Mm-hmm. And the question was, who is he? Mm-hmm. But the only response I and, and it's a typical response. Yeah. You, it's just what they is, do is at it, their work. Is That's a title. their identity. Which yeah. Is, and I just feel like maybe it's a society thing. Well, we should do a whole episode on that because it's it's really fascinating at how important identity is in a hmm. job or career or any any kind of shift. We we need to have a healthy identity, and and, a, and it's the thing that very thing that's threatened. Yeah. When you make that change, so I think we should park that for for another episode. All right. Well, let, oh, okay. G- give me at least one more thing. Well, um, I, dealing with healthy discontent. Though. Yeah. I think another thing that, w- w- I mean, this is maybe a little bit obvious for, for you, Armin, because you do so much of this, but I think just the idea of it being uh, experimenting, you know, yeah. uh, and I think in our last episode, you know, by 32, you'd already had about 150 different things that you've done. But I think the whole idea of finding ways to find out what you're made of and made for, mm. you know, and, uh, and, 
looking at different opportunities to do that. This has never been a better time to find ways to uh, express your vocation with the internet and all the opportunities that are created by it. Um, but you can take on lots of different ways to do that. You know, taking on part-time jobs, for instance, uh, yeah. or or interviewing people that are in different uh, jobs or just uh, uh, doing a lot of reading. Um, and the important thing, back to this uh, um, name it uh, suggestion I had, is that you keep track of what brings you the energy back. Mm. And so often we get sealed into our little container of what we've done that we don't move outside that container and see what else might excite us. <laughs> so I think this idea of experimentation is really helpful in, when you're feeling that healthy discontent. Well, all right, you know I love action more than I like ideas. So I think this is a good time where we just bring it down to ground level. So why don't we do this? Why don't we just go into the challenge me segment? What's sure. the challenge for this time? Well, there you go. The <laughs> challenge for uh, this segment is really tied to this. Um, and that is that we often make judgments about our sense of discontentment based on what happened today. You ever notice that? You, right. Especially the emotional people. Yeah. Well you, well, you come home and your spouse says, well, how was your day? And you know, you're instantly defining how you are based on what happened that day. Right. And I remember one time at Cray, it was like 11 o'clock at night, and I called my boss and said, I need to change jobs. Hmm. And I did it just because I was tired. It was, you know, don't do this. <laughs> don't do this at home. <laughs> don't do this at 11 o'clock at night calling your boss and saying, I, I need out. Because... Uh, I did it when I was fatigued, and I did it because of the result of a bad day. Oof. You know? So the challenge me segment here, and, and really the, the question to put on the table for everybody as an exercise, is to jot down for a period of weeks, maybe a month even, what are the things that energize you and what are the things that deplete you? Hmm. You don't need to keep track of the neutral stuff, just the highs and the lows, because if we don't, if we don't take a look at that over time, we're going to make a decision based on what happens on a day, and we might make a decision that we'll regret. And we might also jump to a new job thinking, because that would be cool today, yep. we haven't looked over time at what, oh, look, it doesn't have all the things that would really energize me. Huh. So there are things that go on every day that either energize you and deplete you, and you might be surprised to learn it. And in fact, it might be a great way to practice some of that gratitude as well. I love that. And the reason I love that is I love making informed decisions. And uh, when it comes to job changes, I don't think I've made a lot of informed, made a lot of informed decisions to make that change. And I think that process you're showing me is helping me capture notes, look at it, and literally take time to digest everything from a day in day out perspective outside of my emotions and make a very logical and rational decision of if, is this the best change to make or not? Or should I stay in it? And I love that because I think informed decisions are the best decisions. Well, they are. And we often don't take time to do that. If, if any of our listeners are interested in how to maybe go about doing that, you can find uh, that again on my website, LarryGates.com. If you type in discover your perfect pitch, I have a blog on how to work on your mission statement, which uses the same process of discovery that might be that might be helpful. That's right. Actually, hey, you know, I think you got a workshop coming up soon. Would you be willing to share about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. That's uh that's a, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's a dream intensive. It's what it's called. And really it's about getting like minded believers together to have a conversation about what God might be calling them to in the next mm -hmm. chapter of their life. 
And we're going to be doing two of these here in the next uh, in the next few months. One's here in Minneapolis on February 21st and 22nd, and then another one in Denver on March 14th and 15th. And um, you can find out all about that on dreamintensive.com. But uh, I'd love to have you there if you're uh, if you're out there and wondering about what is maybe God leading me to in my next chapter of my life uh, dreamintensive.com is that it's an intensive it it's is. an intensive friday night and saturday you'll go away tired but i think you'll also go away refreshed <laughs> you know if you can figure that so. that's right no I, I it was one of the best experiences i had was at at the dream intensive intensive breakfast with you i i learned a lot it gave me a new perspective I can't recommend it enough. And if you can make it to Denver, let's just get serious. Yeah, here. and you had a sliver of what we what right. we cover. So yeah, uh, no tears, no tears, <laughs> no tears on that one. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> well, we've had tears, I think, in every uh, every workshop. Uh, there have been people that have come to every one and just felt released. Wow. You know, just felt like ah, oh, I do have, I kind of have a new lease on life. Personally, it is the most gratifying experience mm. that I have ever been a part of, and so I'm mm. really looking forward to these next. Well, we've got some we got some fun on hand this next uh, next episode that we're going to do. What is the next episode? Well, we're going to talk about um, how to detox from a job gone bad. Detox, I love yeah. that. <laughs> you know, when you when you get involved in a job that's not quite the good fit that it should be, it's kind of a play on this uh, or or a sequel really to this whole discontentment thing. Um, you know. What do you do? How do you how do you detoxify from all of the all of the ways a job can go bad yeah. in your life? Yeah, I think detox is a good word. I think there is a deep process into <laughs> washing off everything that you took on from your old job. I love that. Yeah. So we want to we want to throw out a question for you listeners, um, and and would love for you to comment on our website and also on our Facebook page. Uh, if you're not if you're on Facebook, uh, go to facebook.com slash reinventure me, and you'll find the question there. But also, uh, we'd love for you to leave a comment on our website too. Here's the question for you: What was the worst job? you ever had oh no (laughs) are you ready to answer that one yet armin (laughs) not on the show (laughs) oh there's we're going to share some pretty bad jobs we found out there and uh, we'd love to hear what was the worst job you ever had and why was a job leave a comment on our website and then uh we'd love for you to take uh, marcy and robin's lead and rate rate us on itunes let us know that you're listening and that you care and uh we certainly uh would enjoy that and and uh would be appreciative of it. So this that's it for today's episode of Reinventure Me and for Larry Gates speaking for Armina Sadi, we wish you adieu. Never stop becoming what you should be. You've been listening to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armina Sadi.